Scott Altman, call name Scooter, is a former NASA astronaut, retired U.S. Navy captain, accomplished test pilot, and now the president of the Space Operating Group for ASRC Federal. Welcome to the first episode of Infinite Wonder. I'm Renee Kerrigan, bringing you conversations with people who make amazing science happen. Scott Altman flew to space four times as a NASA astronaut. He served as the commander of his fourth mission on SDS-125, the last mission to service the Hubble Space Telescope. A native of Pekin, Illinois, Scott served as its pilot in the U.S. Navy after attending the University of Illinois. He has logged over 7,000 flight hours in more than 40 types of aircraft. In addition, Scooter performed many of the aerial stunts in the movie Top Gun. After an accomplished 15-year career as an astronaut, Scott retired to join the ASRC Federal Group, which provides services to many space missions. His team recently helped assemble the Orion spacecraft, which just returned from a highly successful Artemis I mission to the moon. Good morning, Scott. How are you today? Hey, good morning. I'm doing great today. And you're right, it's some exciting times for NASA and Artemis and uh, my company. So you, uh, your group, the ASRC Federal, provides services to all sorts of different uh, space missions, and uh, probably most notably right now, your team helped assemble the Orion capsule, which just flew to the moon. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? So um, actually 10 years ago, uh, Lockheed Martin brought us on to take over the assembly operations for the uh, Orion vehicle in the Neil Armstrong Operations and Checkout Building down at Kennedy Space Center. Uh, it's the first time the final assembly of a space vehicle has been done right there at Kennedy. Uh, so it was really a, a neat operation. And we have, and my team's grown from about 20 in the beginning to now 300 technicians and engineers who help assemble and manage the final uh, preparation of the vehicle before it goes over to get stacked and launched. That is really important work. It's uh, I imagine it was a interesting transition from you from being a NASA astronaut, so being on the side of going to space and, and being involved in those space missions, but as a, a pilot and an operator on the missions to now overseeing a team of people who are enabling that next generation of space flight and um, returning to the moon. So what do you sort of love about the work you do? What's the most um, rewarding part of, of that type of work? Well, before I left NASA, I was the head of our astronaut office uh, exploration. Uh, so I spent a lot of time working on the requirements and reviewing the design of what was going to be Orion. And now getting to go down to the Kennedy Space Center on a regular basis, meet with my team who's putting it together, and walk the floor of the operations and checkout building and see the various pieces coming together it makes me feel like I still have my hand in it a little bit uh, as we're doing these things. And facilitating the next generation to continue to do great things in space. You know, as, as, as they did before I joined NASA, I stood on the shoulders of giants and hopefully the next generation will take the steps uh, that we've done so far and go beyond. So I'm excited about the future. 
Could you imagine that uh, we would be taking these first steps to go back to the moon again? You know, at the time that you were a NASA astronaut, you were flying the space shuttle, which was a very exciting time in NASA's spaceflight history with that reusable uh, technology and, um, you know, all those exciting missions to not only launch the the spacecrafts like the Hubble, but then go back and fix them um, when they needed fixing, like your last mission. Um, But we were pretty much always in Earth orbit. So did you imagine that we'd be taking these steps back to the moon at that time? Uh, How does it feel to be in this position now? Well, I'm really glad to be in this position now because when I first joined NASA in 1995, uh, we were already talking about missions to go back to the moon, but also on to Mars. And uh, we were talking about doing that at that time in the 2015 to 2020 time frame. And I was excited about that because I thought I, by that time, you know, 15 years at NASA, I'd be able to be senior enough to write my name on the manifest as the guy who goes. And I was hoping to be the first person on Mars. Time didn't go quite as quickly as we'd hoped at the time. Building the International Space Station took a lot of resources and time. It was a great learning environment for us uh, to learn how to live in space for long periods of time. So that was pretty neat. And now I'm just excited that we're we're here. I I have been going out talking to folks saying, hey, some great things are just over the horizon. We're about to fly humans from Earth again. We have a vehicle being built to go to the moon, but nothing had actually flown. Now we are doing all those things. We're flying astronauts on the SpaceX Dragon. We flew Artemis to the moon and brought it home safely, and we're poised to put people on it next time and go back to the moon. So I'm excited. It's a really exciting time. I've been, uh, you know, a space educator for uh, a number of years, and uh, it's been wonderful to watch this progression and and to know that we are actually um, taking these solid steps forward to going back to the moon. And uh, how lovely that the Orion capsule completed that Artemis One mission right at the same time frame as the 50th anniversary of our last mission to the moon, Apollo 17. Uh, kind of a nice symmetry there. Just 50 years later, it splashed down in the ocean. Um, speaking of that, Orion capsule, does your team have anything to do with the the sort of the, um, post-analysis that will be happening on that? I know it's heading back to NASA now so that they can test how it, how it survived in that re-entry process and all of those um, radiation tests that were inside. All of that work is yet to be done. You're right. There's a lot of work yet to be done. Some of the uh, avionics boxes inside Orion are going to be pulled out and reused on the next mission. So uh, my team is going to be doing that work. I also had a, a separate contract that manages communications out of Kennedy Space Center that was out there aboard the recovery ships managing the multimedia. The images that came back came through uh, the work of my kayak team, is what they're called. Uh, and uh, so that's neat to have been there and played a role in the recovery as well as the launch. It'll be uh, wonderful. And then, uh, you know, it'll be ongoing. Artemis 2 is going to be just uh, a year or two years away. So uh, lots of good work to come ahead with that as well. Yeah, the Artemis 2 vehicle is already uh, nearing final assembly in the operations and checkout building. I was 
uh, down there not too long ago checking up on it. And then uh, Artemis three is right behind it. That uh, doesn't look quite as much like a spacecraft yet. It's more a shell, but uh, it's coming along. And we're going to have basically an assembly line going down there in Florida producing these vehicles so we can hopefully in the future fly one mission a year. That's so exciting, and, and what a wonderful uh, part of your career to be in because you've really been in all the sort of the pieces of the uh, all of the people it takes to make these big missions happen. Uh, one of the things that I love to educate about is that, of course, it's not just astronauts who go to space, uh, or rather, it's not just astronauts who do the exploring. It takes this humongous team of people to make big science happen, to make these big discoveries happen. And um, you've been the astronaut, and now you're part of that team of people who is actually assembling the 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 vehicles and without your team, you know, no one would be uh, flying to space in the Orion capsule. So it's, it's wonderful to know that there are so many ways that people can be involved in these uh, science and space careers and, and not just being an astronaut. Oh, it's pretty cool for the people who get to do that part too. No, that, that is an excellent point And one that I try to make when I do my talks, especially when it's to a younger audience about how many ways you can be involved and how critical uh, I used to say when I was rendezvousing the Hubble, I felt like the flight deck was a little crowded because I knew there were thousands of people who had done everything they could to get me where I was uh, showing up there at the Hubble. And uh, I really depended on folks from almost every NASA center. You know, Goddard created the instruments and worked with industry to get them built so we could fly, help train us. Johnson Space Center trained us how to do the uh, – spacewalks and fly the mission. Mission Control watched over us. Uh, folks in Huntsville helped create the engines and made the solid rocket boosters. And the folks at Kennedy Space Center put it all together and got us off the ground safely. So it certainly is a team sport. It's not just the astronauts on board that are required to carry off these kind of missions. Well, speaking of that and, and young people, Scott, um, I'm always curious about people's path. So um, did you know that you wanted to be involved in space exploration when you were young? Could you tell us a little bit about the path that got you to uh, being a young person growing up in Pekin, Illinois, um, and then, you know, your path through the Navy and then eventually to space and now where you are today? Um, how did you get started on this road? Well, it's kind of been an interesting and uh, circuitous a route to get here. It all started when I was three years old watching an old TV show called Sky King that had a guy flying a two-engine Cessna around, and I turned to my parents and said, I want to be a pilot. And they uh, were both educators in this Pekin school system, and they said, Scott, you can do anything you want as long as you work hard, do your best, and never give up. And those are the three things that I think uh, have taken me through my career, from being a high school student at Pekin Community High School, playing basketball. So at that point, Illinois not being very close to many oceans, uh, I thought the Air Force was the way to go. So I applied and got a congressional appointment to the uh, Air Force Academy. And when I took my pre-induction physical, they measured my sitting height, and said, Altman, you're too tall to be a pilot in the Air Force. Oh, no. And so, yeah, exactly. Just like that, my dream uh, seemed to be crushed. But I decided I would 
work on airplanes if I couldn't fly them, so I went to school at the University of Illinois, studied engineering, and because I was an engineer, I got uh, sought out by the Navy to join the power, which I declined, and me some pictures of airplanes, because by then I figured out the Navy had airplanes. They sent me a book about naval aviation, and I saw their city height requirement was bigger than the Air Force, and I'm like, hey, here's another way for me to get where I want to go. And so I think the big lesson learned there for me was the first time somebody tells you no, that's not necessarily the end. It's what you do after that that really makes a difference. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I've heard that from a lot of folks who in their various careers that the you know that not necessarily the straight path that they thought that they would take gets them to where they want to go. Yeah, so then uh, I became a Navy pilot. I uh, got selected to fly F-14s out of Miramar, and then uh, looked for the next challenge, which I thought I'd use my engineering degree and uh, go to test pilot school. And that was what exposed me to NASA for the first time. And I realized uh, that was something pretty cool and that astronauts were actually real people. I don't think I believed that beforehand. I thought they were some superhuman kind of race. But uh, a lot of the guys had careers that had been like mine before they got selected. So I decided to apply. I got turned down again the first time I applied. Uh, But I knew I wanted to try, so I applied again. And the second time around, I got picked up. And I joined NASA and had a 15-year career with them. But then, as NASA ultimately decided to retire the space shuttle in order to facilitate going back to the moon and on to Mars, the vehicle the Russians had, the Soyuz, that was being used as our transport vehicle without the shuttle, I didn't fit in that, even my sitting height. So I lost my ride to space and uh, had to find something different to do. So I joined industry, a new set of challenges, and it's been very rewarding to still work with the, some of the same folks, seeing the same people over the last 12 years that I've been out, and I uh, feel like I'm still contributing. Well, definitely still contributing because you're, like, like we discussed, enabling that next generation of, of flights and hopefully back to the moon again before too long using this vehicle that your team is, is helping assemble. It's pretty exciting to be contributing in that way. You touched on this with talking about your... Um, height and how something that you know you had absolutely no control over could have uh, put a roadblock in your way for becoming a pilot. Um, but maybe there's a different one. I like to also know if there was a time in your career where you had to co- overcome a significant challenge, uh, because you know you're a very accomplished person, having flown to space four times and as an astronaut and to head this big team of people who was um, at ARS. A- SRC Federal, building these uh, spacecrafts and providing these other services. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't have to overcome uh, challenges in your career. So can you? is there a, a challenge that sticks out to you that you had to overcome and what you did to uh, get past it? Well, the first one we already talked about, the big challenge when the Air Force told me no, trying to find another way to uh, become a pilot. Uh, and then while flying in the Navy, flying on and off uh, an aircraft carrier is certainly a challenge. There, were some, there was one night where I wasn't sure I was going to actually get back on the ship because uh, the weather was bad, and it took me a few tries to get there. And then flying as a, a naval officer, not just a pilot, you have to take care of your folks. When I was a maintenance officer, we struggled a little bit keeping uh, the airplanes available to fly, I have 200 uh, maintenance guys on the, in the squadron that were working for me, and 
taking care of them, uh, making sure that their evaluations were completed on time, and doing that administrative stuff, which is part of the job that you have to do to get through. Uh, there was a night where I had a fire in the airplane, and we thought we, I, I was positive we were going to just have to eject. We were 200 miles out to sea at night, but uh, the procedures worked, and we were able to recover safely. So that was, I got an award for saving the airplane that time. Uh, and then just at NASA was a challenge. Working with people, I got detailed to headquarters for uh, what was supposed to be a year while we worked on requirements for the next generation vehicle. Uh, a lot of challenges there, getting people to work together and coordinate. Um, and then leaving NASA and joining industry with a lot of people who've been in, in industry their whole careers, I had to kind of learn a new vocabulary. Uh, some of the things I've been used to talking about, like P&L didn't need payloads anymore. Uh, it was something that was evidently pretty important to the business folks. So uh, that's been a challenge, trying to learn and understand how industry works, how to write a proposal. Um, we've lost a few things that I wanted to win. You know, it's competitive contracts you have to go after and to get a team together to help write the proposal. And sometimes uh, we've written what I thought was a winning proposal, and the government didn't agree, and we had to, to take that and move on and try to find something else to go after. So there's always challenges, and it's uh, how you respond to those, I think, that makes the difference. Sounds like Scott, uh, one of your superpowers is uh, is people and help help finding ways to manage these big teams of people. That your time in the Navy probably um, helped prepare you for the work that you do uh, today uh, with your big team of people uh, who works on these uh, these contracts. Well, it's true. I mean, two things I've learned is how important it is to take care of your people and. The way you do that is by communicating, making sure folks know that you value what they're doing and that you let them know what's going on with the rest of the organization. Um, so the problems come in when there's a failure to communicate, in my opinion. Uh, I, I was just curious reading about your career as a pilot, and I know it's um, you, you've spoken about this often, but of course people love the story about how you were one who flew most of the aerial stunts in the Top Gun movie, which is just super fun and exciting um, memory, I'm sure, to have uh, to look back on. But do you still fly airplanes? Are you still a pilot uh, actively flying airplanes? I, I wish I was flying more, but I am still current. Um, I fly a friend's Cessna 172. People say, well, how is that after flying a Tomcat or a T-38 for NASA? I said, it's still a thrill when you're going down the runway and you pull back on the yoke or the stick and you feel the airplane lift off and you're in the air flying. I just love that feeling. Any day that I get off the ground is a good day. Uh, the problem is work keeps me a little busy. And I'm not flying as often as I'd like, but it's something uh, that I still love to do. Well, uh, we're nearing the end of our time here today, but I do have just a few more questions. So one, you, both of your, your teachers, uh, both of your parents, rather, are educators. I'm curious, too, if you had uh, someone who lit the spark for you to be uh, the, an, the accomplished person you are today, a favorite educator who helped you know that you could go farther uh, than you maybe had imagined previously. 
Well, I do. Uh, you know, I was kind of frustrated for my parents at times when they were trying to teach me to read, and I wasn't uh, doing that well. And uh, I did okay through third grade, but my fourth grade teacher, we actually had moved to a small town in Illinois called Winona, and my dad became a principal at that time of the school, and my mom was a substitute teacher. But my fourth grade teacher was a lady named Mrs. Troyan, and she's the one who ignited somehow a love of learning and reading in me. I spent a lot of time in the library checking out books about aviation uh, and reading those in fourth grade. And I got straight A's that year that I was able to carry the rest of my uh, scholastic career from being kind of a C student through third grade to an A student the rest of my uh, academic career. And I owe a lot of that to Mrs. Troy. And I'm not sure how she did it, but... Uh, it's amazing the impact teachers have. When I talk to groups, I mean, I say the real heroes are the teachers who are there every day talking to the students and teaching them and inspiring them. Yeah, thank you, Mrs. Troy, and thank you all of our other educators out there lighting the sparks for children all over the all over the world because, uh, yeah, we all need our teachers. Um, last question for you today. Uh, Scooter, you've had such an amazing career. We've talked about a lot of it today, being a test pilot, flying for Top Gun, traveling to space four times uh, for NASA, commanding that last mission to service the Hubble Space Telescope, and now the work you do to enable the next generation of missions to the moon. When you think back over that whole sweep of your career, what stands out to you as a time where you were having the most fun? Well, it's hard to beat being a young fighter pilot in a Navy squadron. Uh, I, I love that time. If you ask me what time of my life would I love to go back to, that would probably be it. At the same time, as I look back, uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is raising my three sons and uh, having them be successful and happy in their own right. And I have my first uh, grandchild. We have a granddaughter who's uh, a year and a half now. So I'm very proud of that. And that's quite an accomplishment. I wouldn't give that up for anything. Oh, congratulations. That's uh, that's wonderful. And uh, I think something um, all of us can, can relate to. Well, Scooter, thank you so much for being my guest today. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Now, I've enjoyed talking with you, too. This has been great uh, reminiscing, looking back, and looking forward. I think it's an exciting time for all of us as uh, we look to head back to the moon and eventually on to Mars. Yeah, we're looking forward to following your progress as you help build these uh, next next vehicles. It's exciting to hear about the one you're building for Artemis III. It's still in, its, uh, still in the building stages, so a lot of good work to be done. Well, thank yeah. you all for tuning in today, and I hope you can find some wonder in your world today.